It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. I just discovered this is our 250th episode to mark such a momentous occasion. We have no guests. We're just going to talk about whatever we feel like for half an hour. So, big show. Yep, that's right. The, <laughs> what, do you, what do they call that? The, it's, it's more than the bicentennial and a half? I don't know. I'm yeah, yeah. Stuff up. it is the uh, <laughs> quarter millennial edition of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. So, uh, all right, let's start, I guess, just like by the time this is all put together, maybe about an hour ago, Albert Okwe-Bunam says he is coming back to school, which I think is the right move. But I'm not sure the expected move. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I kind of, well, and we've talked about this kind of all season, kind of felt like he, he would come back. That just seemed like, you know, it, it didn't seem watching him like he was quite, you know, at an NFL level yet. But then yeah. all of a sudden you, you get some of these mock drafts, putting him in, you know, the first round or second round. And, and so then all of a sudden it, it, it seemed like, I mean, if, if a team is actually willing to take him that high, you know, go. Uh, because that obviously would make you a lot of money. Um, I, I'm not sure. We don't know yet what his actual grade from the uh, draft advisory board was. Obviously, we'll never know where he would have gone had he come out this season. But but yeah, it's big for the for the Mizzou offense just because I mean you know he he is a, a guy who's proven to, he can you know he can get open and be kind of a red zone threat and a security blanket the old tight end term. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he leads the team in receptions next season. I I think there were probably two things at play here. My- it, this is pure guess. Mm-hmm. I would guess the NFL advisory board either told him second round or go back to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, because first round tight ends are Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski. Like that, he's not that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rare that like an NFL team's going to use a first round pick on a tight end. It has right. to be pretty can't miss. Yeah. Jay Novacek, like that level of guy. And, and while Albert could be that guy, he's not that guy right now. Like he has ball security issues, not mm-hmm. just. He fumbled a couple times, but also like he dropped some passes. Yeah, I, Albert's Albert's one skill, his best skill, is absolutely elite, and is that is if he gets open, most guys aren't chasing him down. Mm-hmm. And as a tight end, he he has got elite tight end speed, but I don't think he has elite tight end, you know, catching ability, and I don't think he's by any means an elite blocker for a tight end right now. Yeah, I think the blocking is a huge question mark, and then also the the, the other thing that, that could be a factor, of course, is his injury. Right. Uh, we never found out exactly what that was. Uh, he injured his shoulder in the Florida game. Well, let's be honest. We never uh, have been told officially exactly what that was. Yeah. We're pretty sure we know, Yeah, but you can't say it if, if nobody will admit it. Right, yeah, you can't, you know, make stuff up with injuries here, run run with that. So, but yeah, uh, he, you know, he, he didn't play after the Florida game. We, we saw him around practice with a very large contraption. I'm not even yeah. going to call it a sling. It was more like a half-body demobilizer. It, it was a huge break, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so you wonder if he would have been able to participate in, you know, things like the combine and pro day. And, you know, if, if not, obviously that could have been a factor as well. Yeah, I, I'm going to do nothing but laugh when Albert does not practice the first week of spring <laughs> football and he's just day-to-day. Still day-to-day. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, um, I think the other factor was, like, there are a lot of tight ends in this draft. Yeah. We've seen a lot of guys declare early. Noah Fant from Iowa, I think, is is probably regarded as, as the best guy, but there's some other ones out there. I, I think this was the right move for Albert to come back to school. It, it's also the right move for Missouri. Like, no question, it helps Missouri, and it helps Kelly Bryant because I think we see a passing game that is less focused on throwing 
45 yards downfield. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people don't know Kelly Bryant had a higher completion percentage in his one year as a starter than Drew Locke ever had his entire college career. Yeah. So he can throw the football. It's just he probably isn't going to throw it 60 yards downfield a lot. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Albert should be able to get open on those t- play action type plays. You know, if you're using the run game a lot, that should be available. The, you know, the, the fake zone read pop pass type of play that he loves. Uh, and then in the red zone, like I said, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's an elite red zone target scoring 11 touchdowns in, in one season as a freshman. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he should do nothing but help. So and like I always try to be careful. We try not to say it's the right or wrong decision because it's mm-hmm. not our decision to make. Yeah. Whatever a kid wants to do, he wants to do. And there's a bunch of reasons. I think most people saw Demaria Crockett's announcement and said, I don't quite get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know. We, we've been told his grade from the, the advisory board was not necessarily to, to go, meaning he's well, not. You're probably not going to get drafted. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, basically. And uh, and it's it's a little bit different for running backs just because, one, uh, there's kind of a proven path to success for guys who aren't necessarily high-round picks. And, two, uh, you know, you just kind of have a shelf life. Uh, you know, every, every kind of carry you get and every hit you take just kind of takes a little bit away from the end of your career, unless you're Frank Gore, who is never going to stop playing football. <laughs> and, but, and w- Go ahead. But, yeah, no, I mean, like, so I, I think, you know, obviously a big part of it was probably that he didn't want to split carries this season. You know, Larry Roundtree played so well at the end of the season, he would probably be, you know, 1A of, of the of the running back duo. And that they have a lot of guys that also, you know, Tyler Bainey, Simi Bakari, and, and this newcomer, Anthony Watkins, who would have, you know, maybe had a piece of the pie. So so I think, uh, I think that was a big part of it as well. Yeah, and I was going to say, we can tap that dance around it all we want, but in the end, Demaria Crockett, decided I'm not cool with being the number two running back on this team. Yeah. I, that's what it, that's what it came down to. I think because Larry Roundtree started this season as the starter and ended this season as the starter. Now, Demario started a couple, three games and don't get me wrong. He had a couple really good games in there, but they were eight and two in games. He didn't play. Mm-hmm. Larry Roundtree was the best running back on this team. I, I don't think there's really any doubt about it. He's also the guy who I think, is viewed as the best running back and the better locker room guy by the people on the team. Larry Roundtree played every game. Yeah. You know, he was always there. He and and Demarie said all the right things publicly and, and all that. And it was there was even kind of an odd month long stretch where Barry Odom went out of his way to tell us what a what a great influence and great leader Demarie had become. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, now. Do we believe the reason Demario didn't play the Liberty Bowl was because he was hurt? I mean, yeah. when we asked, we saw him not in pregame warmups, and so we asked, "Is Demario not playing?" And it was outright like, "I don't know. He practiced every day. I don't know why he wouldn't play." Yeah, and then he didn't play. Yeah, no, I think I, I do think yeah, it's but fairly likely that you know maybe he wasn't. He may not have been a hundred percent, but he probably could have suited up. In which the is okay Bowl. that yeah. he made that decision. Yeah, I would prefer that we were told that's what the decision was as opposed to he was too injured to play. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, like you said, you know, I think not as many people saw this one coming, um, but it also maybe doesn't have quite the same impact on the team next season right. as Albert coming back because, like we have said, they have so much coming back at running back and, and new new players as well. You know, I mean, you're still going to have three guys who – ran the ball and scored touchdowns this year, plus Anthony Watkins. And it's the most replaceable position in football. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you are Ezekiel Elliott or Adrian Peterson or Saquon Barkley, like, you can be replaced at running back. And I I think people's reaction to this will be, but hang on, we have a lot at tight end. But do you? 
Yeah. You have Daniel Parker, who's a really good blocker and caught, I don't know, four or five passes. And then you have Messiah Swinson, who people really like, but tours ACL and has never played. Right. And then you have Logan Christofferson and Brendan Scales, who frankly didn't even get on the field much with Albert Down. So yeah. I don't think you really do have a lot no, of No, I think, in. yeah. I mean, like, Messiah Swinson could end up being really good, but like, yeah. Right now, Albert's it's clearly, hard. clearly the you know the most established and best of the, you know player of that group, and also you know you you kind of and with what especially with what Mizzou's going to do on offense next season, you need two to three tight ends. No question. Uh, and so you know if Brendan Scales or Logan Christofferson was going to be one of those guys, I think you get a little worried just given given how little they played this season. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Albert's back. Crockett's gone. Um, Missouri is getting. A lot of love in the preseason top 25, which doesn't shock me. The only thing that shocked me was stadium, which is Brad yeah, Murphy. Yeah. Number 13 yeah, is, that was high. to me, a little bit crazy. I mean, that that's saying – I think what it is is a lot of people view it and say, wait, we lose Drew Locke and Terry Beckner and all these guys and we're going to get better. I think what it is more is people look and say, that should have been an 11-2 and two team this year. Right. So we think – the games that they should have won that they didn't, maybe they'll win next year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think, I don't know how much, you know, preseason pollsters actually look into this type right. of thing, but the schedule is going to be significantly easier. So, that you know, that's something we've talked about just kind of in our expectations for the season. And I'd, also just a big part of it is just like the the PR boost that the program got with getting Kelly Bryant. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone thinks that, that he is, you know, a better quarterback than Drew Locke or a more talented quarterback than Drew Locke. But, you know, like Drew Locke, you know, He'd been coming back for each of these past off seasons, and everyone was just like, "Oh yeah, Drew Locke's coming back." But then, like, I don't know, you get someone new coming off of, uh, you know, he was the the most sought after grad transfer coming off of a uh, college football playoff run. And it's like, "Oh yeah, Mizzou, yeah, I remember they got Kelly Brown. Yeah, we should throw exactly. them in there." Um, so so just kind of that, you know, that new cycle aspect of it uh, as a factor. But yeah, I mean, like uh, I like you said, I I think 13s maybe a little ambitious, but I. I I but wouldn't I be surprised to see them, and yeah, it's hard to separate between like the you know twentieth and thirtieth best right. team anyway. So you might as well throw them in there. But I think all of this establishes now the clear goal for next season is you are a top twenty-five team, mm-hmm. like wire to wire. You should be ranked next year, and I'm not going to say it's the expectation, but the goal is a New Year Six bowl. Mm-hmm. The goal is the type of season Florida had this year. I mm-hmm. think whether that's nine and three, ten and two, whatever it is. The goal is that you're in that LSU Florida spot of Peach Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, whatever, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and then if that happens, then I think it gets real interesting with, you know, hey, this program is clearly on solid footing and clearly going the right way. And I think Jim Sterk's going to get another call from Barry Odom. All right. <laughs> now, now you gave me the if you do it contract. Now give me the you've done it contract. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we talked about that a few weeks ago after he did, you know, sign this new contract extension. Uh, just yeah, the, you know, there, there's some nice incentives built into his current contract. But if he if they you know have a, a ten and two type season next year, he hits virtually all of them. He almost right. maxes that contract out. So then it's time to and and he would you know probably start getting some calls from some of the big right. boys. So so then it's time to to go ahead and sit down again and and tear that one up and and start anew. So because contracts are always. They're not based on what you're going to do. Right. They're always ba- – I mean, Albert Pujols is not still making $30 million a year because the Angels think he's going to be 340-120 next year. <laughs> he's he's making that because of what he did for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, my, my, my one thing when I 
thing about next season is just like obviously you know this is always sort of the case but i the the beginning is going to be maybe even more important than usual because you know in the in the past few years it's like okay well they started off kind of slow but like they were playing these good teams and there's like hope for them to you know make a run against some of the the lesser opponents on the schedule if they you know if they lose multiple games in the first half of the schedule i, I don't that they're gonna there's gonna be an erosion of fan support i think and, for sure. and i think i mean that west virginia game will to me determine are we looking at a good team or are we looking at a potentially like a great team for yeah. Missouri. Right. You know, if they beat West Virginia, then I think 10 and 2 and New Year's Day and all that comes into play. They lose that game. I think you're more looking, could we maybe claw our way back to the Citrus Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. And West Virginia, I mean, you know, it's no one really knows even what they're going to look like. They, they just hired a new coach and they're going to have a new quarterback. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But but that is, you know, more what they're not facing this year's West Virginia. That should right. be a more winnable game than if they had to, to line up across from Will Greer. And last thing on this, like we want to talk about the easy schedule, but like they're at Georgia. That's mm-hmm. not easy. Uh, Florida comes here, and mm-hmm. I understand you beat Florida this year, but Florida's a good team, Florida. probably going to get better. Yep. Uh, at it Kentucky. might not hurt if you want to have a really good season to beat Kentucky and yeah. South Carolina, which you haven't done in four seasons. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, it's set up as possible, but this is far from a, oh, yeah, 10-2, that should happen. Yeah, I mean, we see it every year in the SEC, unless you're, you know, Bama and now kind of Georgia. Like, the, mm-hmm. everyone's capable of losing to any other team in that league on any given day. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, while you can look at it and say, maybe they should be favored in, you know, each individual game, maybe other than like the Georgia game and maybe, uh, at Kentucky, you know, it's hard to string those together. Yeah, no question. So that kind of dovetails it, it, talking about Georgia and Bama and all that dovetails into the last thing I wanted to do on football, which was, uh, what's it like to be at a national title? game? <laughs> it was cool. It was fun. Uh, I was, I was there as a fan. Uh, just kind of worked out that we had a, a bit you, of a you break had the between head and the foam finger. On <laughs> no, no, I, I was not not that much of a fan. Um, but yeah, just, we had a nice little break between the Liberty Bowl and uh, Mizzou playing Tennessee. So went up to the Bay Area and uh, was in kind of the the corner in between the transition area between the Clemson and Bama fan sections. So that was a nice place to be. Probably more Clemson around us than Bama. So that that ended up being good. <laughs> yes, uh, it was fun. It was it was it was fun because even though it was kind of a blowout. Like, for the first three quarters, it was still really entertaining because you just kept waiting for Bama to come back. And it, it was, like, unbelievable. It was like, how is this happening? And they kept doing it all the way until about the 20-yard line. Yeah. Like, Bama actually – that game should not have been 44-16. to 16. No. You know, that, that game was five plays from being a really, really good game. And yeah. my takeaway from that was not, oh, my God, it's the end of Bama. It's, okay, Clemson's caught Bama. Absolutely, yeah. Clemson, Clemson was unbelievable. The thing that, you know, just really impressed me more than anything were their freshman and sophomore receivers, especially that Justin Ross kid. I mean, like every third down, oh, it, he they were just phenomenal. just throwing the ball up to him, and he was making plays against. And you know, he he and the other Clemson receivers were good against like Notre Dame and some of these other teams, but, but against the Bama secondary, against you know five star after five star, and that that just blew me away. And I think all that's those the weak are, part of this Bama team. This yeah, year. and all those kids are underclassmen too, and yeah. it's, you know, so was the guy throwing to him. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence. We've heard a lot about him, so that that's what impressed me the most. And and like you said, like Bama moved the ball, and and really, I mean, it just they they didn't play a terrible game. It just came down to third downs and red zone, the type of you know stuff that football games always come down to. And Clemson absolutely annihilated them in those areas. That Justin Ross catch was every bit the catch of like David Tyree in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that, that was one of the best. Catches Maybe I've more ever skill seen. than Tyree, yeah, even <laughs> no question. Yeah. not in quite as big a spot because the game was kind of decided. But yeah, it, the. The thing that shocked me about that game, like I've never seen this, Nick Saban panicked. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, that fake field goal was a pure panic call. Yeah, that was it. A- as was going for it on just multiple fourth downs. And I understand your kicker's not good. Yeah. But in that situation, you either kick the 40-yard field goal or you just leave the best offense in the country on the field. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, and especially to run a play with the place kicker as the lead blocker oh. for the holder. That was just stunning. Yeah, I like, yeah. It caught me off guard, certainly in the stadium. I didn't even get to see it replay, but but I know, like you know, reading about it out there after it just kind of emphasized what I thought it was just like, why did they, why did they do that? Yeah, I mean, it didn't it, make any sense. Herb Street immediately said that had no chance. Yeah, like there's no way that was working. It was, uh, it, it was stunning, and so, and I wrote something about this a couple of days ago. But like, look, we, we're now in a position in college football where it's Bama and Clemson, and then. I think you can put Georgia in that category based on the way they're recruiting and the way they've played Bama the last two years. Yeah, There are really three teams that have a good shot at winning a national title. And then I'll throw Oklahoma and Ohio State in there right. as because of the leagues they're in, they should get there. Yeah, But you start the season with 125 teams having no chance to win a national championship. Yeah, I think that's that's starting to fatigue a lot of people. Um, you know, it, and, you know even, even if we... You know, were to expand expand the postseason, which you know I think would be fun. I'd be in favor yeah. of. I still don't know that it changes necessarily very much who has the best chance. You know, of, of those teams because these these teams, you know, Clemson and Bama are still so much more talented than everyone right. else. It, it probably doesn't change it, but what it does is this: is Missouri can't beat Bama over the course of a twelve game schedule. Right. It can beat them for sixty minutes. Yeah. You could catch them on the right day. I mean, look, Boise beat Oklahoma. Boise wasn't a better team. But they were good enough for 60 minutes. So if you're in a one-game situation, yeah, you can you can win. And I don't care if they have eight teams, 16 teams, whatever. It really doesn't matter to me. I think we're still usually going to end up with Clemson and Bama mm-hmm. for the next couple of years. But it, it just gives you – I mean, college football, I it, it clearly identifies the best team. Mm-hmm. The best team wins the national title, I would say, 80 to 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. The best team wins the college basketball title, like – I don't know, maybe 25% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And, you know, uh, the, the college football regular season may be more meaningful as a result, but, but the, the, the postseason, postseason is, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a bit dated. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know, like we've talked, I think there's, you know, there's been plenty of discussion about this on the message board. How do you maybe, you know, put some more parity in college football? I, you, you can't really when, when right. these, you know, players are amateurs, air quotes, uh, and, and you don't have a salary cap or anything like that. So I think, you know, it's just going to probably take a new coach at, Clemson or Alabama or, you know, some some sort of shakeup like that to, to introduce, you know, a new team to the mix. But, I mean, it's never going to – it's it's always going to be, you know, a handful of teams in the discussion. For, right. And at, the only season. way you change it and give other teams more of a shot is you do abandon the amateur model mm-hmm. and the idea that you care if these kids go to class and get an education because you don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NCAA doesn't care about that. I don't care about that. Most <laughs> of them don't care about that. Yep. You know, but as long as that's the – that's what we say, then I, I don't think it's changing. So it's been a little more time on football than, than I had thought we would. But basketball, I mean, you said in the SEC, anybody can beat anybody in football. Like, I, I don't think that's more true anywhere than the SEC in basketball. I mean, it, the SEC is neither as bad as we thought it was two weeks ago or nearly as good as we thought it was going to be two months ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we just saw last night Ole Miss beats Auburn. South Carolina entered league play looking like, 
they were going to be terrible, and they've now they're two and zero with beating Florida on the road and then beating uh, Mississippi State, which is ranked in overtime. So yeah, I mean it's it's totally you know depends on the day you you get a team. Uh, Tennessee might be the one team that that is yeah. good enough to to take care of business most nights, even if they have kind of an off night. Um, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated or anything like that. It doesn't happen very often in college basketball, but they were really impressive the other night. I mean, you know, Grant Williams, he's obviously really good. The reigning SEC player of the year, he did nothing. I mean, he had four points, he one rebound, he fouled out. I I remember saying something to you, you know, in the second half, like I for, we kind of forgot he was even part of the team. And still Tennessee, I mean, they just have they have so many dudes who can score. They have a lot of good offensive players. So uh, when when you have that kind of depth, it kind of helps uh, avoid you know that that kind of off night. But yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of crazy results all year in the league for sure. Conzo said going into that game, like Schofield and Williams are really good, but it's Jordan Bone that makes it go, and yeah. you kind of go, yeah, that's fine. No, he, he like I came away from that game thinking Jordan Bone might actually be Tennessee's best player. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he yeah he he kind of controlled the tempo for them and and he he knocked down big shots. So yeah, Tennessee's a good team. Uh, you know, everyone else. I, I Auburn's still, good, but still not Tennessee know. good. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, like the they jur- got whacked at Ole Miss. Yeah, the jury's the jury's still out, kind of almost on everyone else in my mind. I mean, you know, Kentucky's this- talented, obviously, but they're like every Kentucky cool. team. They're they're we're yet to know kind of what their identity is. This season screams to me succeeded Kentucky makes the final four. Yeah. You know, like they, they kind of go through and everybody's like, why are they so disappointing? And then all of a sudden when the lights come on, they run to the final four. I, I could see that happening. Uh, Ole Miss is better than, than anybody expected oh, yeah. them to yeah, be. Yeah, they're playing really well. Um, I think, you know, Florida won at Arkansas last night, which – is I don't know who that says more about. Like, Florida's not been very good through the non-conference, but when Arkansas brought Daniel Gafford back, I thought, hey, this is a really good team. I'm not sure that's a tournament team. Yeah. South Carolina is awful and then wins its first two league games. I don't know what to think. Yeah, I don't either. And and it's going to be interesting because, you know, since a lot of these teams, you know, were mediocre to underwhelming in the non-conference, and then, you know, you're going to have these upsets like this in the the conference play. It's like it kind of – you don't know if it maybe is going to lower the the kind of net you know slash mm-hmm. former RPI rating of everyone like you know maybe South Carolina is not that bad of a team but like losing to them now looks really right. bad because they had a I, bad non conference schedule or like Florida maybe not that bad of a team they're getting get playing better but like losing to them at home looks pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I so. think they I think I read something the SEC was like five and thirteen in non con games against the other Power Five <laughs> conferences which I think what that's going to mean is. These teams are all going to kind of beat up on each other, and what it's going to do is Tennessee is going to be a one seed. Mm-hmm. Auburn, or whoever's second, Auburn, Kentucky, whatever, is probably like in that 3-4 range. And then I think you're going to have like six SEC teams that have a hard time doing anything because they're just going to be like 7-10 to 10 seeds. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, it's that's obviously – it's pretty early to start saying like, you know, who's – on the bubble or or who's making the NCAA tournament. But yeah, this does kind of scream, you know, a lot of teams in the conference standing separated by like a half a game or one game or whatever. And then, and then all kind of, you know, being hard to separate when it comes to resume time. And as far as Missouri goes, like this is kind of crazy to say, I guess probably for the second SEC game of the year, if Missouri loses Saturday, let's stop any discussion of what needs to be done to make the NCAA tournament. Because it's not going to happen. If they, if they go lose at South Carolina and start 0-2, this I don't think is a team – because what that tells me is it's a team that's just in the mix with everybody else. Like, yeah, they're going to go win a game. Like, they may beat Bama at home. They may win at A&M, whatever. 
But then they're also going to lose a game that you say, oh, that really hurts them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, even even now, it seems it feels like a, a bit of a stretch to start saying, what yeah. do they need to do to get? I mean, of course, you know, you can look at it and say they, they need to win, you know, 10 conference games or whatever. But like that just it doesn't feel especially likely to me. Um, we'll see. I mean, I just, I don't think they have the depth, uh, right. especially on the offensive end. But and, and because I wrote this after after the game on Monday night, I got a little bit of pushback. But any game in which Jeremiah Tillman spends 17 minutes on the bench in the first half, any game in the SEC, they lose that game. Yeah. They beat nobody that he sits for the majority of the first half. Yeah, not unless you know they shoot eighty percent from three right. or something ridiculous like that. So yeah, I mean, like it's just they they they're too they're too based off you know one or two or three guys, and mm-hmm. and it's hard it's hard to win when you're playing twice a week to have those guys show up every single time against teams so. that are as talented. Yes. like yes. Missouri is middle to slightly below middle talent wise in this league. Yeah, and me saying you know. I don't feel like talking about the NCAA tournament right now. Super, you know, likely doesn't mean I'm necessarily saying this is a you know hugely underwhelming season or anything like no. that. Obviously, they lost their best player right before the season started. I think just from that point on, you could kind of see that this probably wasn't going to be a talented enough team to make the NCAA tournament. And I think obviously there's been some encouraging signs. I mean, like you know Xavier Pinson, honestly, I mean he's he's started to make he makes some of those plays that just make yeah. your jaw drop. If he can you know start doing that consistently, that'll be huge uh you know Javon Pickett's been great and and they're gonna bring a lot back it's just you know this this probably isn't a year where you you realistically think NCAA tournament and I did kind of have to remind myself leaving the arena on Tuesday night like that game looks different if Jonte Porter's on this team yeah um and he was supposed to be on this team so I think it's unfair to heap too much blame on Conzo Martin I think the one thing you you could say is like even with Jonte like we kind of thought all off season, you need another big guy. Now, maybe you can say they thought KJ Santos was going to be that guy, and then the injury setbacks have prevented that. But that's the only place, as far as roster construction, that I kind of look at and say, you know, I mean, even Conzo said after the game, like he didn't name them, but basically what he said is Reed Nico and Mitchell Smith are, are put in a position that mm-hmm. that they're really not equipped to be in. Yeah, I mean, you know, we. Reed Nico, obviously, he he gets like I think you said he gets the most out of his talent, and he's yeah. he's a hard worker for sure. But like I, you you really didn't want to have to you can't ha- play have him, him playing minutes meaningful a game in the minutes. NCC. Yeah, he should probably be a guy who's been cycled out of the rotation by now. And, and the so, fact that he's your number two big guy kind of tells you what they think of the other one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean Mitchell Smith didn't play until Tillman fouled out, and there was five minutes left, and that game was completely over. So you know, a lot of people have been saying what happened. I mean, what? I clearly he's just not playing as well as the other guys. Right. Nothing happened. Yeah. Um. You know. So, so these next the next week and a half is at South Carolina, home against Bama, at A and M. Like if you have any hopes of going maybe even to the NIT, these are three wins. You yeah. can't lose these games. Yeah, at least two of three. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. I guess you yeah. could accept a loss at South Carolina, but then you're 0-2 coming home with a home game against Alabama, who, by the way, just beat Kentucky, that you absolutely have to win. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. I I just, you know, I think I think this is going to be a, a weird a weird season in the SEC where, I mean, you know, Mizzou loses some games that, that you, you don't think they should lose and maybe beats a couple like, teams you don't think they should beat, and I think everyone's going to do that. So Like, I can see, like, Tennessee 15-3, and Auburn – 12 and 6 and every other team in the league like somewhere between 7 and 11 and 11 and 7. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. 
Because it's not going to be a shock when the 13th place team beats the fourth place team. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, that's that on the hoop side. um, I don't know. I don't think anything else is really going on, is it? No, not really. Um, You know, there's a swim meet today. That's, that's oh, you, you want to? Should we break that down? Uh, no, I I don't know that I'm capable of that. I just, they're still <laughs> they're in, they're doing that thing. So yeah, I, I think anybody who is still listening would not be listening as we begin <laughs> to break down the uh, Mizzou versus Louisville. Louisville. Oh, it's, it's big uh, forty family family rivalry at the natatorium today. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, that said, I don't. I mean, basketball game Saturday. I don't really. There's really not much in football until signing day. Like, right. I think we're kind of in the down. I don't think we're now awaiting any other announcements unless somebody like a, a Jordan Elliott just shocks everyone and goes, "Hey, I'm going pro." But that yeah. would be a complete shock. That would be very surprising. I, yeah, no, I think I think we're I think we're about done with with people possibly declaring for the draft. I mean, we'd be completely done in like four days because the deadline is Monday, right. uh, and then yeah, we'll have signing day. You're gonna sign all of like three more people, right? And then pro days in what right. March? April. Um. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Pro day. Sometime. In the future. February, March, something like that. Emmanuel Hall and uh, and Drew Locker on the same team at the Senior Bowl at the end of January. Uh, a lot of that stuff coming up. We'll, we'll obviously follow where those guys go in the NFL draft. Um, I tweeted out something yesterday. If you guys have people you want to hear on the podcast, let us know. We'll do our best. Some of the uh, requests have been completely un unmanageable, <laughs> but uh, the ones that are manageable. You know, we'll try to give it a shot. We also got a lot of requests for guys like Chase Daniel, Lawrence Bowers, LaDamian Washington. Like, we've had those guys on the podcast. We can always do it again. But, you know, um, whatever. We'll uh, Every week now, we'll talk basketball, but we'll also kind of try to, to branch out a little bit and, and bring you guys something worth listening to other than Mitch and I talking for 30 minutes, which is it's captivating. Very insightful, I'm sure. Yeah. So uh, we're coming right up against 30 minutes, and I don't want to work any more than that. So we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.